Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Sturr. They did it. The Bucks win the championship. Talk a little bit about Team USA and the Olympics. I'll talk about one trade that happened before the draft, and then everybody's favorite segment, plead their case. But first, Giannis overcomes the odds with uh, the team that he was drafted with and wins finals MVP, scored 50 points, honestly had an amazing closeout game. Uh, do you feel, based off of this, he's the most accomplished 26-year-old ever? So if I'm, if I'm just counting it down, we can say that he's one most improved player. He's won MVP. He's won finals MVP. He's won defensive player of the year. He's been first team all defense, first team all NBA. He's been an all-star. He's been an all-star game MVP. Um, I mean, two finals MVP is, or I'm sorry, two regular season MVPs two regular and a defensive season MVPs. player of the year with one of those. Right. So, I mean, if you look at it that way, I mean, it's really hard to say that anyone could have possibly done more because it seems like every year that he's been in the league, he's essentially won something or gotten close to it. Like even when he wasn't anywhere near as dominant as he is now, he's still one most improved player. And he's been getting better ever since. So I think it's really hard to argue that he's not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would probably say that he is the most accomplished 26-year-old. Yeah, what's crazy is, like, he has so much more room to grow. And he's still technically, like, he's entering his prime. He's not in the middle of his prime. He's, like, just getting to where typical NBA players have their prime. Uh, LeBron and Jordan didn't win until late in their 20s. Um, Steph is continues to get better, and he's like on the, the decline of his prime. Damian Lillard probably is right now in the middle of his prime. Kevin Durant, all of those people are 30. So he still has so much time left to be in the league, uh, and it's going to be exciting what we continue to see Giannis do. Apparently, he said that, and I'm sure this is just him um, gassing him up for the NBA draft. But apparently his the youngest brother, I think his name is Alex, uh, Giannis thinks he could be better than him. So he will see if he goes to a team or, or not. But apparently Alex is uh, the real deal as well. We'll see about it. I doubt it very much. I think he's trying to build some hype for him, which, I mean, you're his brother. You have to do it. But. Um, going to Giannis, I mean, the guy, like you said, is just right now about to enter his prime. And he's a guy that is able to do everything that he has done while still having pretty much no outside jump shot. He shoots below 34% from three. He's a pretty poor free throw shooter. He's below 70%. And he's still able to win MVPs, finals MVPs, and all the awards that we mentioned. And in the closeout game, for those 50 points, he hit 17 of 19 free throws. So it's not like he's completely broken with his form. It seems to be a, a mental hurdle as well. But it seems like somewhere in there is somebody that has the ability to perhaps become at least an average free throw shooter. Maybe he becomes at least an average three-point shooter. Maybe he shoots at... 
even a marginal improvement would be something that would go a long way for his game. It would make him that much more unguardable. So it's not really crazy to think that he's going to get better. So it'll be really, um, really fun to see all that he goes on to accomplish and the sort of player that he goes on to become. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving on uh, to some other exciting talent, but not so exciting news. Team USA during the Olympics lost their first game to France. Uh, they won their second game versus Iran. But what do you think this team's chances of winning gold after seeing their first two performances? I'm still going to go ahead and say that I think they're going to win it all still. I still think they're going to get the gold. Um, I just I, I just have a, an issue, I guess, looking at their roster and believing that this team could possibly not win. Like, I just can't believe that. So I find that really hard to believe. Um, I know that obviously they're not playing their best basketball. They lost to France, 83-76. At one point, they were winning, um, and they looked like they were doing all right. But they ended up, again, having a meltdown um, towards the end of the game. Bam Adebayo, who otherwise had a positive game, he had a double-double with 10 rebounds, 5 of 8 overall from the field, and 12 points. He had two opportunities to tie the game down two right at the end where he missed two free throws and then he missed an easy putback for two that would have sent the game to overtime. But we all know that the game isn't decided on just one possession or in one minute or on one play. It's a, a game-wide thing. And I think the biggest thing with this team has been one, a lack of identity with their offense. That's something that I've been saying. They just really look like they're taking shots out of rhythm. They don't really seem to have any sort of flow or system or focal emphasis it just seems like they're kind of just trying to run sets out there they're trying to isolate and take turns doing iso ball and it also seems like they play down to their opponent a lot it seems like once they have like a little bit of a lead they take their foot off the gas they're kind of like all right we've won they're going to roll over and i think that if they're going to win they have to realize the teams are not going to roll over for them especially when They've already shown that they are beatable. Other teams are probably fired up, thinking to themselves, all right, on any given day, we might be able to catch them on an off day. But I think what's most concerning is the fact that guys like Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard, who we earlier mentioned were the biggest volume shooters on the team, they're taking the majority of the shots. The three-point line is closer than what it typically is, and these guys have like limitless range. These are basically like mid-range jumpers for these guys at the line. How are these guys shooting three for 10 if you're Damian Lillard and four for 12 if you're Kevin Durant? That to me doesn't really make any sense. Um, obviously, they're going to win. These guys got to show up. Like, I, I just feel like when I see them play, they look like they're in a practice gym. Like they're not acting like they're playing a game like we would be watching in a playoff where everyone is locked in and they look like they're playing with intensity. Everyone looks like they're playing a pickup game in a practice gym. And obviously, if you approach it like that, and then the other team is playing with the desire of winning glory for their nation or their country and potentially winning it on the biggest stage, you're, you're not going to be able to keep up with that because you're not playing with the same motivation. So I think that 
they need to lock in and they need to play with a different sense of motivation and fire than they have been and take their opponents seriously. Um, the competition level has improved. Pretty much every team has at least one pro on it now. So you never know. Yeah, I mean, you hit a lot of good points there. I think overall, um, I, I, I have to agree with you on intensity. I think there are some players that uh, have picked up the slack uh, for some of the other players, which to me, it's been surprising that like Drew Holiday coming off the bench and really right off of a flight basically went into this game and scored 18 points uh, in, immediately, shot 50% from three um, right after winning the finals. So at least some people are coming in with motivation, but yeah, I agree. If the whole team doesn't come in a spirited mood uh, for the rest of this, then they, they may see a potential early upset once they get out of the group rounds or end up with a bronze or silver medal. Yeah, and the other thing too is I know that when we look at their roster, it is a little bit tougher to nitpick Greg Popovich for the rotations that he's choosing to put out there. But I really do think that he is doing a disservice to the team by playing Draymond Green as much as he is. Draymond Green literally had two points. He, he literally had two points. And he also averaged less than 10 points per game in the NBA just this past year. So it's not like this is a thing where it's like a small sample size. Oh, he just hasn't been scoring lately. No, like this is who he is now. He does not score the basketball. And that is part of the problem with this team. Yeah, he has leadership. Yeah, he's like a vocal leader or whatever. But clearly his vocal leadership is not firing anyone up and he's not scoring. And he's also, I mean, yeah, he's, he's fine on defense. I guess he's fine. But it makes it harder for everyone else to score when you know that you have a Draymond Green on the court that is pretty much a non-threat to score. I mean, you have to at least put someone out there that other teams have to guard so that everyone has a fair chance to get a good look and take advantage of the spacing. I don't know why Draymond Green plays so many minutes. He plays like starters level minutes. He's playing like six man off the bench or something as if he's like the best player coming off the bench. Like, I, I don't understand that, but um, hopefully in time they figure out something that works. Yeah. I think their expectation is they want more of a free flowing offense and think that Draymond is more of a facilitator similar to Bam. So they probably want him on the floor to uh, allow for spacing, allow for a free-flowing offense that tends to fare better in international games. But uh, I agree with you. They need people who are going to be scoring the ball, not so much uh, passing the ball at the moment. Yep, but moving on, um, one big trade that happened before NBA trade night or uh, NBA draft night, we get a trade of Jonas Valanciunas for Steven Adams. Very unique trade. I don't think many people would have expected that one. What do you make of the deal, good or bad? I mean, it makes sense for both sides. Also in that deal was Eric Bledsoe. The, I think outlook is that Eric Bledsoe will be bought out or cut. Uh, Steven Adams will likely remain with the team for Memphis. But Memphis is not, a position, not in a position to 
necessarily win right this second, but John Morant's exciting. They won their play-in game, so uh, they do have a chance to compete for the playoffs. And I think that Steven Adams, to me, is a upgrade over Valanciunas overall. But for the uh, Pelicans, it's it's salary cap, cap flexibility. And the expectation is that Lonzo Ball is likely done with the Pelicans. They obviously Zion and his camp have been disappointed with the last couple of seasons. So having that salary cap flexibility allows them to go after a bigger target in free agency and a name that's been floating around and we'll see what happens is uh, Kyle Lowry to the Pelicans. Uh, so they, I think want to have more veteran presence. Uh, people have been there before who have won. And I, to me, Kyle Lowry does make sense for that team overall in terms of what their goals are. And this deal is just something that needed to happen in order to enable them to make that deal. I think that Kyle Lowry on the Pelicans is nice, but that's the only thing that I agree with you on about this trade, to be honest with you. Like, I really don't get it. From the standpoint of, I don't see where it really does free their team. It doesn't really make any sense. Eric Bledsoe, obviously, I think that is going to be cut. I think that he's going to be bought out and will probably sign elsewhere because it doesn't make any sense for him on that roster to be there. He does not fit. He's obviously not going to start ahead of Derek Brooks, who's been a developing nice young player for them that they probably want to keep seeing develop. They're not going to put him ahead of John Morant. So well, what? You he's, know he's Eric Bledsoe's going, right? Well, that, that's what I'm saying. Like he's going straight he's not... to the Lakers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I can see that, but the thing is, I I, I really don't think it's going to happen. Um, based on some developments that have happened that we'll cover on the next episode. I don't think he'll be going to the Lakers anymore, actually. I don't think he'll be a fit there. I don't know where he's going to go, but um, it's definitely not going to be on the Memphis Grizzlies. So if we're looking at this on just a Steven Adams and Jonas Valanciunas trade, I think that for the Grizzlies, it really doesn't move the needle for them. It doesn't make them any better. They're getting a guy who put up 7.6 points per game and 8.9 rebounds per game. He's pretty limited offensively. He gives them good defense, but they were already pretty solid defensively. And Jonas Valanciunas is not a terrible defender. So I think that they basically improve a little bit on defense to decrease a lot on offense. Jonas Valanciunas actually put up 17 points per game for them and also put up 12.5 rebounds per game for them which are both significantly higher than Steven Adams. Um, also, his PER of 24.47 was 12th in the entire league, which is significantly better than Steven Adams' 98th. Jonas Valanciunas put up three point or, or uh, 12.5 rebounds per game, which was third in the league, which is also much better than Steven Adams' 8.9. So from the Grizzlies' perspective, I don't understand whatsoever why the Grizzlies would do it. Also, well, they also have, got the they got into the lottery. Well, that's true. From that perspective, they I guess they took on money to get into the lottery to have a slight downgrade at center, whereas the Pelicans got salary cap flexibility and took on a better center. I just feel like for Grizzlies fans who have been on the cusp of being in the playoffs, potentially making the playoffs and 
seeing the team fizzle out, when you get into that position, you as a fan are tasting it. You're close. You're competing. You're in the playoffs. You are kind of hoping that your team would go in the direction of continuing to build pieces that the following season can help you finish higher or do better. And I don't think that this move will help the Grizzlies finish higher next year. I think that the Grizzlies will probably finish lower with Steven Adams starting for them. Well, the other piece too, that they're probably looking at, uh, Jonas Valanciunas has a $14 million contract for this season and then as a free agent afterwards. So if he continues to play well and outplays his current contract, then they'd be looking at a situation where they're going to lose him uh, and not want to foot that bill. So it gives them a little bit of long-term salary cap flexibility because they'll cut Eric Bledsoe. Yes, they have Steven Adams on a longer-term deal. However, they're going to have a rookie-scale deal that is going to be for four years with whoever it is they take at 10th pick. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do to construct this roster. Hopefully they can build a winner sooner than later and they don't spend too much time trying to backpedal and acquire assets. We've seen how that's been able to backfire for other franchises before, taking too long to assemble the weapons and then seeing their centerpiece leave in free agency. So if they're smart, they'll start acquiring assets that can help them win now sooner than later so that John Morant, who absolutely would be an endorsement magnet in a big city, doesn't leave them. Yeah, we shall see. But moving on uh, to everyone's favorite segment, Plead Their Case, where you'll ask me a series of questions and I will plead the situation's case. Let's do it. All right. So we've got a couple of draft day rumors. We know that um, this is always a time of year that trades get a little bit spicy. But um, for this segment, let's talk about what could have been. Rumor has it that the Pistons reportedly declined an offer of Shea Gilgis-Alexander and the number six pick for the number one pick. The Detroit Pistons declined this offer because, just like I predicted on a previous episode, they don't want to trade the pick. They actually really do want Cave Cunningham. Plead their case for why it was a good decision to decline the trade. Well, I think... People have talked about this draft as potentially being similar to 2003, uh, similar to 96, uh, and similar to some of the great drafts that we've seen in our lifetime. And so to have a generational talent who would be the next, one of the next stars in this league, Shea isn't that. Shea is a star in his own right, and I think will continue to get better but he's not going to be the face of the league. Cade Cunningham has a chance to be the face of the league. So if it was Shea and maybe the number three pick, maybe they would have thought about it because maybe they could have gotten Evan Mobley at three. But I, I don't think that they were going to get that type of talent at number six, and Shea's just not it. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. I think that Shea Gilgis is criminally underrated. I think that I would bet anything that Shea Gilgis-Alexander winds up being better than probably 
three of the five guys that end up getting picked in the top five. I would say that probably two of the guys in the top five wind up having a better career, and Shago just probably outplays the other three. And then you also get the number six pick in a draft that was considered to be a pretty deep one. You can still get potentially a really good piece. Also, if you're the Thunder, how many picks are you going to accumulate? Like, how many times are you going to try, like, to clean the slate? Like, I'm really shocked that based on all the picks that the Thunder have, they're trying to package Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a player who, again, is 23 years old. He's six foot six. He has prototypical size. He's bigger than Jalen Green, the guy that a lot of people want to take number two. And he's already proving to you right now that he can give you 23.7 points per game, 5.9 assists per game, 4.7 rebounds, shoot 50% from the field, 41% from three, and 80% from the free throw line. He really doesn't have any holes in his game. When I look at Shea Gildas-Alexander play, I see basically 95% to 90% of Brandon Roy. Like, I think that he could be that kind of guy. They have a very similar game. Obviously, they're not like the kind of athlete. He's not, he's not going to be like a Jalen Green athlete type of guy, but he's the kind of athlete that's good enough that he can use his athleticism to score in ways that he can take advantage of angles and use his skill set to his advantage. He understands how to get to the basket and how to score. Above all else, he's a scorer. And he's also a pretty solid distributor at only age 23. The sky is the limit for him. He could potentially blossom into an all-NBA type guy. Look at Zach Levine right now, for example. Zach Levine is not necessarily a generational player quite yet, but at his age, I mean, he's putting up 28 points per game, and he was nowhere near as good as Shea Gilgis is right now at 23. So who knows what he could still wind up becoming. And this is being in a situation where every year he's got a revolving door of players and changing game plans and basically knowing that every year they're telling him, hey, Shea, we're going to try to tank again this year. We're going to try to acquire a bunch of picks again this year. We're not really trying to win. But, you know, go out there and fight the good fight. And, you know, we're probably not going to go deep in the playoffs this year. We're not really giving you any weapons. That's not our intention. We don't want to go deep. But still go out there, you know, make something out of nothing. And, you know, maybe one of these years we'll decide to do something and hopefully we'll reward you and give you something that you can win with. And every year he goes out, he balls out. He does the best that he can with what he has around him. And this is what the Thunder reward him with if I were him I would be pissed to be honest with you but moving on to another player who we have been talking about for quite some time in trade rumors Ben Simmons apparently was offered to the Raptors in exchange for OG Ananobi Fred Van Vliet and multiple picks the Raptors declined plead their case for why they made the right choice in declining this offer. I mean, I don't, did you watch the playoffs? I don't think I need to plead it any case. I mean, the idea that Daryl Morey has that Ben Simmons should be traded to an 
equal amount that a James Harden was traded for is beyond me because how long does somebody have to be in the league and continue to get worse each year? And then you go out and uh, say, well, look at his potential. Look what he can become. Like he's proven that he's not willing to work on his three point shot. He's proven that he's going to continue to regress every year. And he hasn't proven that he can be a star in the league or lead a team. So why would the Raptors trade two of their main guys with additional picks and mortgage their future for somebody who probably isn't going to be the guy and what pair him with Pascal Siakam? Like it doesn't provide them additional spacing. It doesn't make them better in any way. I, I, Maybe you wait until Ben Simmons mid-year is better, but this ain't it right now. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And honestly, I would probably agree with you in the sense that if I was the Raptors, I probably would not trade for Ben Simmons either. But there is something to be said for the fact that if you're the Raptors and you're trying to build a team that can actually win a championship and – Fred Van Vliet or OG Anunoby are your best players, chances are you're probably not going to win. Like, we saw what a Fred Van Vliet-led team could do last season. Um, I, I like him as a player. But the thing is, I think that they paid a lot for him to keep him because they won a championship. And obviously, it's hard to get free agents to go sign over there. Um, but I don't know that he's going to live up to that contract. He's six one. He's not overly athletic. He honestly is never going to really be a great defender. Like he's always going to be kind of a liability on that end. I see Fred Van Vliet more as a guy that I love coming off the bench in a six man role more than I do as a focal point, as a building block, as a big three type guy getting big three type money. And Oji Ananobi is a really nice piece too, but he's like a solid piece. He's like a piece to the puzzle. He's not the main piece. So Ben Simmons, even though he hasn't shown that he could be that yet, he's the guy that's the number one pick overall with the pedigree, with the super high upside. He's still 23 years old compared to Fred Van Vliet, who's 27 and basically is only going to, I mean, I don't think he can get much better than, than what he is like probably can't get significantly better. Um, Ben Simmons still has the promise of maybe one day, if he can somehow become even an average shooter, he could become an all-star level guy, a legitimate all-star level guy. Not like how he was this year where he got voted in, but he didn't deserve it. Like a really actually all-star guy. So who knows? They could have been looking at it from that perspective too. But again, if I were the Raptors, I'm not trading for Ben Simmons either. But um, that's what we've got for today's episode. Definitely, there's going to be a lot going on for the NBA draft. Definitely check back with us the following week to catch all the latest news and the analysis on the draft picks that were made and the trades that are for sure going to be happening. So um, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Follow us on Twitter. Send us a DM with any opinions you may have. And I'm Mike Stir. I'm Eric Gonzalez.
Court is adjourned. <laughs>